All right. So um, I don't know if you know this about me, but a few career changes ago, I actually managed a branding and design agency. And I know we have very talented designers in our midst. Um, but our primary task, as you probably know, uh, uh, what a branding and a design agency does, but, but our primary task, other than designing pretty things, which isn't actually really kind of the, I mean, it kind of is, but it isn't really. That's not the ultimate goal. Was essentially to help our clients communicate who they were, communicate their culture, communicate their ethos, uh, communicate the heart behind their, either their product or their service or, or what it is that they were trying to do so that they could engage their existing customers, but ideally new customers, positively. And so we essentially worked with them to create a strong brand so that people would choose our client's company or their service or their product over and above their many, many competitors. And the reality is, is that since I ran that agency about 15 years ago, much has changed in the world. But I think that many things still hold true and that if anything, that many of the issues that we face have just kind of grown in scale. And so if you talk to anyone pretty much, but anyone who employs someone or anyone who works in small business, if you talk to retailers, if you talk to uh, tour operators, if you talk to even educational institutions, they will tell you that competition is only increasing, that we live uh, in a world that is not only competitive locally, but is competitive globally. And so we live in this dynamic. We live in a dynamic where everything is competitive and we're competing for the dollar. And uh, I work in a space that is trying to, I guess, get people to work well together and understand that people who come to our communities have something to offer, that they're not just this empty vessel that we have to help and we have to house and we have to clothe, but they have something to offer our communities. And, and last year, uh, not long after I'd gotten involved with the Welcoming Cities initiative, I actually received a phone call from the CEO of a business council uh, of a, quite a large regional city and they'd heard about our initiative and they'd heard about what we were trying to do and they'd heard about our framework and they wanted to make contact and, and as I said this business council is in quite a large regional area, it's an area that's experiencing um, rapid growth, rapid growth because of um, settlement and migration and particularly large humanitarian intakes and so they're grappling with all this stuff and the CEO of the business council said this to me, she said our challenge is this, we have a large infrastructure project in our community, a large health facility essentially was being built in that community, a billion dollar development. And we know that once the project is completed, we will not be able to attract enough people domestically to fill all the jobs. And so we know that we need a national approach and an international solution, but we're actually struggling to attract people. There's a perception of our community that we are not welcoming. And because of this perception, current Australian residents who don't live here and migrants don't want to move here. They don't want to live here, they don't want to work here and so we need to change that perception. We, we don't just want to become a welcoming city, we actually need to be a welcoming city. And so this story, or at least the sentiment behind it, I've found is actually a growing challenge for a lot of the communities across this country. Um, this week I uh, was in Melbourne literally a day before shocking, shocking 
tragedy and accident that happened uh, just on Friday and walked through that intersection literally 24 hours before. Um, but I was meeting with uh, senior government officials in the city of Melbourne and their focus is on increasing social cohesion in their community and, and uh, taking advantage of the very rich multiculturalism that's in their community and trying to grow economic participation. And they're concerned. They're concerned uh, about a world in which America votes in a, a very aggressive, angry man. Uh, they're concerned about uh, political sentiment in this country and policies that uh, appear to be quite divisive and um, almost dangerous. And one of the people said in the meeting something that really struck me. He said, brand Australia is damaged. And he went on to say, there's actually no evidence that this will improve anytime soon. We really need to do something about it. I kind of found this to be a compelling and a disconcerting statement. Brand Australia is damaged. Our, our international reputation is increasingly poor. The Australian brand of a fair go, the, the Australian brand of cheering on the underdog, the Australian brand of boundless place to sh planes to share, for those who come across the seas doesn't seem to ring true so much anymore. And so the growing perception externally is now that we demonize people who flee torture and tra trauma. The, the growing perception is that we are intolerant of diverse cultures. The, the growing perception is that newcomers to our nation are at increasingly at risk of being vilified, especially if they don't look like they think that Australians should look like. And so Brand Australia now seems to be associated with a fair go just for some people, but not for all people. And I think there's good reason for that perception. And perception is everything. When it, when it comes to the choice of people relocating or coming to this nation or visiting this nation and bringing their tourist dollars or their skills, perception is everything. And I kind of got to thinking about that. I got to thinking about Brand Australia and I got to thinking about brand church. Now look, I don't know if you sh we should really be talking about church in the context of branding and marketing, um, but I'm just gonna ask you to humor me tonight. Um, just humor me for, for, for just a moment. Uh, and I got to thinking about, well, what is the e external perception of brand church in this country? People who don't engage with church or who aren't part of church or who only do it intermittently, is their perception of Brand Church a building? Is their perception of Brand Church a closed community? Is their perception of Brand Church a place where you have to pretend to be something that you're not? Is it of a place where you are told what to believe and some guy just talks at you a lot? Is it of a place where you have to behave a certain way or where you have to maybe meet a, a certain standard? Is it a, of a place where you can't really be honest about how ridiculously difficult your life is because people might look down on you? Is it a place of moral judgment? Is it a place where the powerful abuse the weak? Is it a place where God is really angry and God is, is ready to punish people for, for their failures and for their discretions? Is the perception of Brand Church 
of a community of people who all look the same and think the same and say the same things and behave the same way, a place where either the music is really, really bad or it's a pop concert, but everyone knows the words and everyone knows when to stand and everyone knows when to sit. Is, is the perception of brand church a place where they hit you up for money? Now contrast that with brand Jesus. Again, forgive me, I don't know whether we should be associating Jesus with brand, but... <laughs> what do we think, and we'll talk about this in a moment, the general external perception of Jesus is, I think that at the very least, people think that he was a remarkable man who did great do good. He, that the perception of brand Jesus is that he was a man who taught peace and love and forgiveness and mercy, a, a man who was compassionate, a man who, who didn't seem to care who he was seen with, a, a man who, who challenged leaders and challenged authority, a man who told his disciples to put away their swords, a, a man who absolutely embraced and was all about community, a man who loved people where they were at and who challenged them to live for each other, a, a man who uh, redefined the other and redefined who our neighbour is and, and redefined how it is that we should engage with them and, and even engage with our enemies, uh, a man who was unfairly crucified and, and a man who chose a violent death rather than a violent revolution. And, and I was sitting on the plane back from Melbourne on Thursday night, last flight, and been a long day, and I was just kind of pondering the difference between the perception of church and the perception of Jesus. And I have to confess, and look, I was tired, but tears started to well up in my eyes, and I was glad that the cabin was dimmed. But I had to wonder why, why is there such a dichotomy between our perception of church and our perception of Jesus? And I guess partly because we're not Jesus, we're, we're not, we're human, we're flawed, we're, we're frail, we're prideful, I'm speaking about myself here, we're, we're determined to be right, we're determined to frame ourselves by what we're not, by what we're against. But surely, surely if I follow Jesus, surely I should be trying to imitate Jesus, surely my goal should be to embody, to incarnate him. And surely, isn't that why we believe, why we have, why we have a theology of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' advocate and helper and, and uh, presence here on earth, so that the fruit of the Spirit can be evident in our life? And so we kind of sit in this dichotomy of, of church and Jesus in a world where we see that nationalism is on the rise, where the definition of our neighbour seems to be shrinking, where... My neighbour is really just someone who shares my ideologies, who doesn't really challenge my worldview. And so I would suggest, and this is up for conversation, but I would suggest that I think it's more important than ever to rethink brand church. That it's time to address the damage, that it's time to stop waiting for someone else to do it, that it's time to stop waiting for some other community or pastor or theologian or, or leader, that we need to come together more and more, that we need to put aside our differences, not just amongst us, but 
amongst denominations and amongst uh, practices and beliefs that we need to be talking unity more than we're talking distinctives, that we need to serve more than we reach, that we need to forgive more than we judge, that we need to privilege the poor more than we're wooed by the rich, and we need to love more than we hate, that we need to bestow grace more than we bestow condemnation, and as much as possible to embrace difference more, far more than we demand conformity. And so my hope and my prayer is that the church, that the body of Christ would become so aligned with Jesus that somehow we can't be separated, that, that somehow we can, can no longer be told apart. Can you imagine? Can, can you imagine what impact that might have? What impact that might have on our lives and, and our communities and our world? That's my hope and prayer. May it be so. Amen. So, we have some questions. Three questions which are going to come up on the screen, which I'll read anyway. What do I think the external perception of Brand Church is? What might it require for Brand Church to align more closely with Brand Jesus? And what might this mean for me and for Found? What could we do differently? within our sphere of influence.